It has been two years, nine months, and 23 days since I last treated a patient. Today, I've got Kat McKay, a PT. Thank you for joining me, Kat. Thank you for having me. Uh, I tell everybody before we get started that I don't edit my podcasts. And I like to say that up front because that can be a little shocking to people from time to time. Uh, it's also a violation of what most podcasters would do. But I like to keep this as raw as possible. Um, I feel like a lot of the listeners that that I have really respond to the fact that this is just what real life is like. It's, it's unedited and messy. Uh, don't worry if there are weird things that happen. I've, I've had a lot of it myself. Uh, I just like to give that heads up before we get started. You're okay with that? Sounds good. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So first off, uh, tell me, tell me your story. Tell me the background about your life as a PT, um, your education, your practice. Uh, most of the, the listeners that I have, they're, they're here because of stories. Uh, and so the journey is what we really want to hear about. Give us, give us that full story about what you've done. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you, Adam, for having me and for interviewing me and for having this platform for people to tell their stories. Really appreciate that. Um, my, my story started as a physical therapist, I would say back in 2005, when I graduated with the physical therapist assistant degree. That's kind of how I initially started. I went to a little local community college in Oklahoma. It was called uh, Miami NAO, Agriculture and Community College. And I sort of bumped into the physical therapy assistant degree just because I kind of needed something, a major that I could get out of a two-year school and be able to work and make money at the time. As an immigrant from Ukraine, my options were kind of primarily, I wasn't really passionate about physical therapy per se. I just sort of liked exercise and liked fitness. And I thought if I could just do that and get a good job, that would be good. And so that's kind of how I got into the profession, into the field. And then in 2005, I started working and I worked as a PCA for three years. And what I really realized is that I enjoyed treating people. I enjoyed the profession. I really enjoyed the work, but I felt limited in my ability to make decisions and also my evaluation skill set. I just kind of felt like I was doing what other PTs were telling me and I didn't have the knowledge or the skill set to do it otherwise. And so that prompted me to seek further education, and go to physical therapy school. And so I graduated from the University of Oklahoma in 2010 as a PT. I have a master's uh, degree in, in physical therapy. They didn't have a DPT at the time. And that's kind of what I've been doing since 2010 as a PT, now going on 13 years, working you know, in various settings along the way, sort of figuring out what I like, what I didn't like, trial and arrow and um, I'm here today. So the I, I did the the PTA and then PT myself. Uh, right. <laughs> at, we, we're similar generation in terms of, of doing that. You're a little earlier than I was on the, the PT side. But when I was looking into it, there were two programs in the country that were transitional PTA to PT programs. Mm -hmm. uh, did you have a specific reason for not going that route? Great question. I looked into that too, you know, with the transitional. Uh, Creighton University was one of them, I believe, that kind of had a transitional. And there was another one. But to be honest with you, when I looked into it, it wasn't that simple. And they still needed a bachelor's degree. 
So I would still need to go to school, get a bachelor's degree, and then somehow, you know, I would have to travel. I just, I remember I looked at it and it wasn't like, oh, all my credits from PTA school transferred. It's a, it was going to take me almost the same time that it was going to take me to do a PT degree. So what I did, I continued working as a PTA and I went online to Toro University at the time and got my bachelor's in science online, but I was able to continue work and pay for it as a PTA. And then with a bachelor's degree, I went into the three-year program at OU. So the transition program just didn't seem to be money-wise and the convenience-wise legitimate at the time. I get that. Uh, for for me, the, you know, I was looking at the two programs. They both required working 40 hours a week as a PTA as a requirement during the program. Oh, and yeah. yeah. I, it, it, that, that concept of like classes are on the weekend and trying to cram an associate's degree into a doctorate in a weekend. And I know yeah. my academic capabilities. I was like, there's no way I'm just going to go ahead and just go to PT school. And I don't regret it necessarily. Yeah. Um, I will admit to being wildly jealous that you could get the master's uh, when I had to get the doctorate because it was an additional year and more expensive. And I didn't feel like it was that valuable. Have you mm -hmm. noticed any kind of like difference in, in in capabilities from what you've learned through your academics as a master's PT versus a doctorate? You know, I mean, I don't know, right? Because I don't have a doctorate, but I have to say I've looked into a transitional DPT. So my school years later, they started offering transitional DPT. So I could go back for one year and it could be done online with just like occasional fly in for classes or presentations or exams sort of thing. And so I, I was sort of, you know, considering it but what made me not want to pursue it was, A, it was costing more. I mean, it was like it was going to cost me 20 grand for that year to get a DPT. And when I talked to my employer at the clinic that I was working at to see if my pay would increase, right, if I were going to get a new hire, it didn't matter if I had a bachelor's or master's degree. So in that respect, that didn't make sense to me. And then the curriculum that was covered was mostly theory. It was, you know, there were some good classes like going over extra imaging, a little bit more detail that I was interested in, but a lot of it was theory statistics and it wasn't going to improve my clinical skills that really what was driving my patient care and better outcomes. And so I just didn't see the benefit of it. So I guess the answer is no. I don't so, think so what I'm hearing is a doctorate is a big fat waste of money. I'm maybe putting <laughs> words in your I mouth. Mean, yeah. I've got a pretty strong opinion about that. I really very strongly fit on the side of it's it it's it doesn't need to be a doctorate i don't know i don't really think it needs to be a master's myself but do that's, you think that's an entire uh, separate discussion is it is it still three years because the master's was three years how long is doctorate the doctorate was three years as well but uh okay. from the the program that i went to i was at indiana university i was oh i got i you don't want to quote me on this one, but it's it was something like three or four years out from when it was a master's. Mm. And looking at the coursework that was the difference between the two, yeah, um, I don't want to be insulting and say they were fluff classes, but it's close to it. Um, mm. yeah. Psychosocial dimensions and uh, business ethics, uh, you know, things that if you don't have that as part of your your makeup. You're yeah. not going to get it because somebody told you it in a class. That makes uh, sense. But it was it was the the previous program was a two year master's 
versus three-year doctorate. And I mean, that's 33% increased in cost for yeah. no clinical benefit. So I, that's kind of where it's, it's a little controversial, but I feel like a doctorate is useless in a PT standpoint. It's just more student loan for no increase in pay. As you said, it's the license. Are you licensed as a PT? That's your pay scale. It doesn't even matter if you have a bachelor's versus a doctorate versus a master. I've, I've seen very little uh, companies that are willing to pay more because you have the advanced degree. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's been my experience too, which is why I never pursued the transitional DPT. To me, it seems that the push for DPT was to further improve direct access, you know, and to allow kind of PTs to be on a higher level with the doctor so that we have more respect in the field. And I can see why it was pushed for it, but I just don't see that it worked because yeah. we're still pretty much on that low totem pole. And I honestly think it creates a lot of confusion because, you know, a lot of PTs are called doctors, which is fine, but because chiropractors are also called doctors, and I don't think they're any high, more higher educated than we are, but their profession, their lobbyists are much better at elevating their profession. So in that regard, I think we should be on the same level as chiropractors, but we're still untreated like that. And we're still... Yeah, the doctor hasn't helped that. I, I think I've told this story before, but uh, when I was in PT school, we the Indiana University was unique in that we did our anatomy and our neuroscience with the medical students, which was really great. And and not because I felt like I gave us more education. Uh, I feel like it was the worst education. The the anatomy class they they glossed over the legs because not many physicians need that. Uh, PTs needed a lot, right? But I, yeah. we were we were in the big auditorium. We were going over mm -hmm. a radiology segment, and they had a, a guest speaker come in, a radiologist. His mic was on, and he didn't know it. And the 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 director of the anatomy program at the school said, "We also have you know the the doctor of physical therapy students in here too." And the radios goes, "They give those guys doctorates now." <laughs> Everybody could hear it. It was hilarious, <laughs> but it's the same thing, right? It. Oh to, to me, God. like that that's a case in point. Yeah. Saying that we have a title of doctorate, if somebody doesn't already respect a PT because they're a PT, adding a doctor to the title is going to make them respect them even less. Right. That's that's kind of the way that I felt about it. So I hear you. Uh I it I'm yeah. a little jealous on yeah. the, the master's level because I would like to be able to preach and <laughs> demonstrate what I have. But anyway, um <clears throat> what as you've been a PT, how has your practice involved, evolved? What is it that you feel like is unique to you? You know, I think uh, I'm a Pilates certified instructor and I became certified through STOT certification. It's the Canadian company. It's a focus on clinical Pilates. I became certified in 2016 and that really has changed my practice and how I do approach human body. Um, I approach human body as a holistic way, whether you have a shoulder or knee or ankle injury, all my exercise incorporate the entire body, the spine, all the extremities. And so I think that makes me unique in terms of whether you do Pilates or not, I'm still going to put you through a Pilates exercise-based repertoire with focus on postural control and stability and proprioception. Do you, do you feel like that, that shift into whole body change the way you practice or is it more the Pilates just the the philosophy of Pilates that changed the way you practice or is it the same that's a great question um you know I think it's the philosophy of Pilates that changed because Pilates I always thought that we should address you know the whole body but I didn't have the tools to do it 
so you learn all this stuff at school and then, you know, you practice, but you have such a limited amount of time with the patient that how do you address the whole body and where do you start? And so Pilates has really given me the framework of where to start and kind of gave me the tools and specific movement patterns and tests that I can assess and then I can build a program based on that. So it was thanks to Pilates that I developed a whole body approach. And then thanks to whole body approach, I eventually, you know, moved out of the a, a typical insurance-based model to my own cash-based practice where I really get to do whatever the hell I want and how I want and treat the person as they come in, as opposed to, you know, what I'm being told. So that like right there, uh, that, that hints on something that I'm super interested to talk more about, um, just things that I've read, the concept of starting your own business, uh, is already hard enough as it is, but (laughs) to, to go away from insurance to cash pay. Um, and I don't know if it's changed, but I kind of looked into it maybe 10 years ago when I was considering it myself and everything I kept reading was saying that you can expect to retain about 10% of your clients when you switch to cash pay. And I'm like, Oh, I'm out. I can't afford to pay my bills on 10% of my clients. And I know yeah. you've created a successful business on cash pay. Uh, how, how did you do that? Yeah, you know, it, it was, it's been a journey. <laughs> and certainly, uh, you know, very scared. I sent, Initially, I started my own business. Um, let's see, I started working for myself in 2017 in July when I went full-time working for myself. And I fought real hard to get credentialed with all the insurance companies, which was actually really challenging. They weren't accepting new PTs because they said the market was overflowed. So I actually fought for being credentialed for like a year. And finally, when I got there and I built my practice and I got full, you know, I just, I, I got so burned out from doing billing paperwork, even while I was outsourcing billing and I had a biller and all that stuff, but the amount of rules and authorizations and, the amount of ethical dilemma that I had to deal with every time because I had to document one thing, even though the patient needed the other because insurance wasn't going to pay for it. It just has become really stressful. And so I think the way that I transitioned to cash base at that point, I I took a break. I really got to the burnout part between I was really full with patients, but then I also was doing, you know, for every insurance patient, I literally did another hour of, billing documentation, calling and so forth. So I was just constantly all this time and paperwork and had an option of either opening the clinic and hiring PTs and just running a busy orthopedic clinic where you can get the numbers up of patients. But the idea of that and the quality of care just didn't sound well. So I was like, forget PT, I'm going to try a different career change. And for a while I was considering, you know, going a different route and applying for jobs. And then I finally decided that if I had an ideal PT practice, it would be cash-based um, where I get to do what I want. And so I just figured I'll try it. If it doesn't work, well, then it's I'll, I'll figure something else out. So I have nothing to lose, but I didn't want to go back to the insurance-based. And so I just, you know, uh, I just cut off all my insurance ties and basically, I just sent an email out to all my current clients, and I had a, a six months out deadline, and I said I'm going cash based. And then I, you know, kind of struggled for a while setting my prices and what it's going to be, and so forth, and felt really scary. 
And the thing is that I've been cash-based since January 1st, so five months now. And yeah, the first two months, I probably had, a, I was about 50% full to where I want to be full. And for me, being full is treating about 24 patients a week. That's my sweet spot. <laughs> that's kind of where I want to be. sounds like a dream. 24, <laughs> man, that's, that's full. God, that's, that sounds great. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, 25, like that's kind of where I feel great. I'm not burned. My emotional state is good. And I feel like I can give really good care. And so I started out 50% full, but I'll tell you, like within two months, I was right now I'm up to my full capacity where I want to be. So I actually practice didn't slow down and you know, I think it did help that I established relationship with insurance base because, you know, I had a proven record and people knew me. And so they knew the quality of care and the provider that it was that it was coming back. I think if I was starting out with cash base, it would have been a bit more challenging with marketing and so forth. But with that being said, I mean, one of the things that I keep hearing from my clients that it's not the money that keeps people back, right? If you can give a good product and they see that you actually spend time with them and you address whatever it is that they're here for and they leave with valuable information, they don't mind paying the money. They actually are thankful for the quality of care. The biggest thing that I keep hearing, and I think that's the issue, is the the availability. You know, is the ability to be able to get in quick when the injury happens. And having a cash-based practice allows that space in my schedule. You know, I'm not back-to-back. I can get somebody in the week, same week. I can create the space. And if if you go to orthopedic clinic, by the time you fill out, you know, paperwork and with insurance-based trials and authorizations, there's such a delay of care. And then finally, if you can get in, it's like a month later. And so that's been the most available resource that a lot of my clients told me is, the consistency and the ability to get in quick and address the issue at the acute state. So that's interesting. I I mean, I hadn't thought about that concept of, you know, if it's, it's a 40 hour work week and you have 40 patients or at least 40 patient slots, like, you know, I'm used to uh, dropping that at 24. I never thought about it from that concept of that gives you the flexibility to adjust the week accordingly to get that speed. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. So that, yeah. I, that's kind of fascinating. Um, yeah. Uh, it, I'm hearing like everything I've heard so far sounds like, oh, it's just, this is super easy. You just, you just go cash pay and you work half the <laughs> amount of time and you get more money and there's less frustrations. You can do whatever the fuck you want. It's wonderful. Like wait, what's the downside? The downside. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, as, as, as you know, any, running your own business, you're doing all this admin work on the back end. So, um, I mean, there's really, I think the downside, there's no downside as far as job satisfaction goes. That's definitely way better. The downside is you've got to do your own marketing, right? There's no, you're no longer listed insurance databases and so forth. So you've got to create marketing campaigns to reach out to clients. And I think reaching out directly to patients should be, our main priority. Like we should stop reaching out to doctors and trying to seek referrals. Like we need to reach out directly to the public and educate the public what we're capable of and that we are the providers of musculoskeletal rehabilitation. And so 
working on that is, is, is challenging for me, like developing your social media presence, online programs, YouTube channels, all that stuff. It's just not the things that you learn in school. You just kind of learn as you go, but taking workshops and it takes time. So that's a challenging part, marketing. Um, you know, number two is um, the challenging part is, you know, income stream, right? So you have to think about different passive income sources that you can develop by creating, I think, online programs, which I, I'm still working on, but doing workshops and doing some of those things, because if, if you don't get patients, you don't get paid. And so there's not that job security of 40 hours to get paid no matter what. Yeah. So that in the back of, of you know, um, and I think the other thing is, um, as far as the challenge for me is, you know, really sort of finding your niche, sort of, because I think trying to focus on all and everything, it's way too broad of a spectrum. And so challenging is how do you structure your practice and your field to where you can attract a certain clientele, you know, really. I think really working with the client that you feel the most connected, like who is your target audience, which probably falls more into the marketing, but as, as you kind of switch to cash base, your message when people call you and they ask you is, is really important. And so to kind of lure the client in and to get them buy into what you're doing in your practice. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I got to break the fourth wall a minute here for, for listeners. I know Kat, um, one of the things that I think that for as much as it sounds like cash based on super easy and the, the good life, uh, I'm going to plug you uh, for for a minute. Uh, listeners, those of you who have gone through my entire library of the phase one of this podcast, when I'm just telling stories myself, um, you know, I'm really opinionated about what quality physical therapy means. Cat uh, is the only person I trust to treat my family. Um, so I think, I think there's a level of going solo, going cash based, um, requires knowledge and capability and adaptability and all of the things that, 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 that ability to rise above the average person, um, that, that to me is the, is a hard part, but I say that and I mean it genuinely, um, when, when I think about my loved ones, I don't have a ton of them. I, I keep that a very small network, but I'm also very protective about what it is. And I refuse to treat my own family members, uh, friends as well. I'm sure you've taken the same approach. <laughs> That's wise. <laughs> yeah, it's disastrous, right? But then trying to find the right person to treat them is is difficult. So I, you know, I, I thank you for what you've done for my for my close loved ones. Um but Thank you. it's Thank it's you. within that that I think what I didn't hear you say is extreme quality of care, uh, ability, and at the human level, but also at the biomechanical level. Uh, that that seems to me something that is required to do what you've done, and I think that's probably where you've seen the success that you've had. Uh, I'm you know I'm, I don't know that for sure. I'm speculating, but. <laughs> I feel like it's a valid, valid statement, nonetheless. Uh, Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's it's whether complimentary or not. I don't, I don't, I don't give compliments <laughs> for no reason. It's just a statement of fact. 
what do you what do you envision for yourself going forward? How do you how do you see your practice evolving? Do you continue to practice? Like, what does this look like? Yeah, you know, it's a good, it's a great question. Um, I mean, I think my my sort of my my next vision now that I'm 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 good, I'm busy, I'm successful, just treating myself and treating patients one on one. What I'd like to do next is to actually increase and expand my presence online by creating online programs. I've done a little bit of it already, you know, and it was, I mean, it went well, but for what it was, but I'd love to be able to um, record specific videos and specific exercise programs that people can use on their own after they're discharged from PT or, you know, to complement their practice, to be able to work on certain injury rehabilitation. So creating more online programs is my goal. Um, you know, ultimately I'd, I'd love to be able to have a little studio clinic that kind of focuses on both combining physical therapy and Pilates rehabilitation in one to where you can have, here's your rehab part, you work with PT, but then here's a space for you to work with a qualified personal trainer, Pilates instructor, taking classes to kind of follow up with that. So it more creates like a wellness, uh, gym approach. I've, I've been to so many gyms and every gym I see, I mean, a lot of people just, they just don't know how to work out well, how to use their body well. And I, I kind of want PT to be more of the wellness and ongoing maintenance, as opposed to you come in to see me when you hurt, you recovered, you know, you're done. So creating some sort of a qualified exercise space for people with instructions. I don't know what it would look like, but that would be like my dream. Pat, I, I, I can't tell you how, how much I am in favor of what you just said. Um, I, my, my burnout story is well-documented publicly <laughs> podcast and articles and it's, it's out there. Uh, it, I've also been very vocal about, I, I very much strongly believe that not, not just PTs, but rehab medicine in general, even orthopedics for that matter has has tried very hard to make incremental progress to to provide quality care for patients in the face of a terrible healthcare system and no. we're not winning and no. as a result i i've i i hate to say it and there's some people who are going to get hurt along the way but i truly believe that orthopedic medicine needs to burn to the ground so that we can build it back up from the ashes i we we've been trying and trying and trying and we're getting it's getting worse and worse and worse and what when, when I think about like the utopia of orthopedic medicine and what it looks like for patient care, what you just laid out to me feels like perfection. It feels like that utopia to actually get not just somebody out of a condition that they're dealing with, but to prevent it, to carry on, to make it a, a full journey. Uh, I, I can't, I, I love what you just said that's that that gives me so much hope for for what comes after the burn to the ground and rise from the ashes like a phoenix because i've never really been able to specify what does that phoenix look like and everything you just said to me feels like it you know i i agree with you i i think we're underserving people with orthopedic care from from the hospital all the way down to pts to the clinics just the way we're set up right like like it's it's hard if somebody sprain their ankle it's hard to just get them in for an x-ray easily i mean there's such a process to go and whatnot 
So yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and a lot of people that I see uh, are, you know, generally people that just want to feel healthy to do basic stuff, hike, bike, you know, all that stuff. And insurance companies don't think that a 40 year old should run a marathon and, you know, play basketball with their kids or whatever. So yeah, I think it we do need to change. And, and I think PTs, among other professions, we should be, you know, we will be eventually at the forefront because I honestly think that future physical therapy is cash-based. There's no doubt about it. I think in the next five years, we're going to see it's only becoming a cash-based practice. And when that happens, I think that's where we're going to have those pop-up gyms within the PT clinic with like a membership-based plan where people see PT, they recover from the injury, and then there is the gym that they go in, maybe they work out, maybe they have a guidance of a professional PT watching them, helping them create their programs, that sort of thing. So the next question I think is probably one of the hardest ones that I've asked anyone. Uh, everything that you've laid out, again, it feels like the utopia. It feels right. It feels like the phoenix coming from the ashes. But how how do you reconcile to the person that they still have a deductible to pay with their insurance and they also have to pay a cash fee for this kind of service when it doesn't contribute to that deductible, when they're already facing other healthcare issues in their yearly life, or for that matter, being a low income person, like how do, do you have any ideas for that? I mean, it feels like the answer is that immediately I have no idea, but I just, huh. what, are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And, and that's a real, real issue and real concern. Um, the thing is that a lot of people that I see even see right now don't have the, I mean, the deductibles are so high that it doesn't even matter if I were to build insurance because it, even if I was in network. So I think the key for those folks is, you know, A, to have probably a scaling scale. I mean, I have that in my practice right now where a couple of slots a week, I would see folks that I know are lower income and they can't afford. And so I have a scaling sort of a, I, I give them a discount for that. Um, and I think probably creating more of a group based session where it's three or four people with, you know, say low back pain or similar condition that they come in at a discounted rate and maybe doing more of a public awareness education kind of thing. But That's it's definitely a larger problem because it goes not just for PT. PT would be like the cheapest part of the rehab, right? It goes to the doctor, orthopedic surgeon, primary care, all those folks that are need to be part of the same team to help these folks. Because we're so, we're part of the so team. with your schedule of <laughs> you don't have 40 slots a week, you do 24. You can afford to do a a, a lower income slot here and there and still make ends meet for yourself? Yeah, I have like one uh, one to two lower income slots where I give people, you know, like a 20% discount from my base rate. And so I have those slots and, you know, I tell them like, okay, I can fill you in in these slots and we'll work through it. And then at that point, if you're good, you're good. And I, living in Seattle, I, I, I honestly haven't had any, I've had one person that um, benefited from that, but most of people, when I give them my rates and what I charge, they're they're comfortable. 
coming in. Well, I'll be damned. Solved. Orthopedics is fixed right here today <laughs> in this conversation. Um, I can I the, I want to I want to get to uh, a question that that I that I want to ask everybody that I interview. Um, it, it's really important to me to get this information out. It stems from when I was practicing myself and seeing that I had to answer the same question over and over and over again. Uh, and it, it was something I needed to get out, but I didn't have a platform to do it. It was the, the one-on-one. Um, and I, I want to be able to offer that up to other people I talk to, this chance to talk to more than just one person who's in front of you. What do you want others to know based on your, based on your time as a, a physical therapist, a business owner, both? Yeah, thank you for that question. Uh, gosh, you know, I, I think number one is just don't be afraid to take a risk. Like that's that's been the biggest challenge for me and the reason I held off for as long as I did starting my own business or even going cash-based and doing all those changes, just always so scared of taking the risk and, you know, not believing in myself. So I think just take the risk, you know, listen to your intuition. I think intuitively we all know what the right path is. And if you're making the change towards improving your personal well-being, your personal mental state, having more time for yourself, you will be successful. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, pursuing what you're really more in, in line with. So that would be one thing. The, the other thing in physical therapy, you know, I would say it's all about networking. It's, it's really about connecting with others not being afraid. Um, I've taught so many workshops and I continue to do them. That's been such a huge, just getting to know other business owners, talking to other physical therapists, naturopath, chiropractors, acupuncturists, we're all kind of in that allied health umbrella and just hearing their struggles and their stories has been so helpful. And I've learned so much from the little details of what electronic medical records to use to, you know, what online software and so forth. So networking is a huge one and, and meeting with people in person, Zoom, however you can, but really getting to know your community and, and others within it um, is the big thing. And, you know, I would say thirdly, just being a good listener. You know, I don't think it's being scared about like your skill set. You know, nobody, none of us has a magic wand that, and all the manual skills or exercise skills in the world and, you know, all the certifications that we have. I mean, I, patients don't care about that. Like nobody cares about your credentials and what you're about. At the end of the day, really, it's, it's about being a good listener and connecting to somebody and really taking time to understand what they're coming from and where they're coming from. And I think that's been, for me, the biggest, having being cash-based and having the time to listen to somebody has made the most impact on helping my patients get better. Or if, if it's not me, just being able to find somebody else that could. So taking time to listen, taking the longest part with your interview has been the best clinical strategy that worked for me. And I encourage everyone to do the same. Thanks, Kat. That, uh, that's one, that's wonderful. Uh, I, a couple of last questions for you. Um, part of it, I ask, you know, was there something that you'd like to plug? And for listeners in the show notes, I will have Kat's website, her her YouTube channel. It, it'll be there for you. Um, I, I just, I got to say, my heart breaks 
as you being a friend and the caregiver of my family, I know you're moving uh, in the near future and that makes me very sad, <laughs> but uh, again, I'm, I will be, I will be linking your, your website and, and your YouTube channel. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug uh, as you move forward in your journey? Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to, to have this opportunity to chat. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited and sad from, you know, trying to, move our life to Spokane, Washington, from Seattle, Washington. And for people that um, that want to find me, looking up on my website is great. And I'm still planning on being in Seattle every now and then. So I will still have um, evaluations in person as per needed basis by working with uh, local Pilates studios where I teach workshops and also be able to see patients in person. So yeah, that's uh, another thing is I'm planning on teaching online classes. And so just being able to offer that part for those people that are still here. But uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe at some point I'll be able to open a little satellite clinic here. <laughs> those are the I, big dreams. <laughs> selfishly speaking, that sounds wonderful. But honestly, even just the fact that, you know, you, that I, I, I wasn't aware you were looking at connecting with local clinic or local Pilates studios and online yeah. presence, that still feels good to me. Uh, you know, it's, I, this, this is my own practice speaking, saying that I was a terrible manual therapist. Uh, the hands-on stuff that I did was less about my skill level and more about following paint by numbers. So I do believe in the concept of being able to do remote treatment. And even more so, I work at, at MedBridge now where I'm doing an application for patients. And if I didn't believe that you could do it remotely, then ooh, I'd be out of a job right now. So it, it does make me happy to hear that there is a level of you of you working on the online presence. Once yeah. again, Kat, I want to thank you for your time. It means the world to me. Uh, listeners, if you're a healthcare provider of any kind and you're willing to be interviewed, or if you have a question you'd like to ask, you can reach me at nerdhealth at gmail.com or on Twitter at nerd4health. That's nerd, the number four, health. Until next time, I ask all of you to join me in taking a little time each day to try and learn something new or grow as a person in some small way. Signing off for today. <laughs>